Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to Season 4 and the 88th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show we're going to start a bit of a, a two or three part series with Cameron Stevens, who is a safety technologist and safety futurist. Um, Cameron's really lucky because he's also a qualified uh, and chartered health and safety professional. And he's got extensive experience in developing technologies to improve the design experience and safety of work for enterprises across the world. Cameron is also the founder of the Safety Innovation Academy, where he coaches technology and safety teams to improve digital literacy, develop digital safety strategy, enable safety technology transformation. This was a really interesting chat we had with Cameron with my colleague Brent Robinson because I think there is a direct connection between the new view of safety and how safety tech can help us on our journey of learning from everyday work, but more importantly, creating systems that focus on successful everyday work and that positive lens rather than that negative lens. So please sit back and enjoy this podcast with myself, Brent Robinson and Cameron Stevens. Well, hi, listeners. Today, I'm actually really lucky. I've got Brent Robinson joining me from, from Melbourne and a super special guest. We've got Cameron Stevens, um, who basically is a bit of a futurist and technologist and, and also one of the country managers for Lenovo and the great work that they're doing in uh, augmented reality and, and um, virtual reality. So welcome, Cameron, to the show. Thanks very much, Brent. Excellent. So look, we, we see quite a bit of you on LinkedIn and we, we see quite often that you are talking about um, particularly the application of technology and certain elements of the, the new view of safety. And I, and I thought this was a, a great opportunity to get you on and, and just talk to a wider audience about some of the values and some of your learnings you've had around using um, technology in that. And you probably would have seen a few weeks ago, we, we did a post where we were showing the use of augmented reality with a group of workers where the organization was putting in place a series of new machine, new equipment. And the traditional approach would be do a series of hazard IDs. Engineers would build it. And basically, um, whatever we didn't think of will then create some administrative controls around it so that workers can deal with it. Uh, in this case, we used that AR technology so that workers could see what was the intent of design. But more importantly, rather than asking the workers what were the hazards, we got the workers to use the four Ds of dumb, different, difficult, and dangerous for them to explore that. So what are your thoughts in that space, particularly with this type of technology with VR and AR? Yeah, look, the biggest uh, benefit from, well, so first of all, the, the shift that we're seeing in uh, with these AR and VR technologies is a shift from 
viewing flat media in two dimensions. So that's how we would typically interact if you're doing something remotely, like what we're doing right now, just looking at each other in a, a 2D interface. Uh, we're moving from, so uh, viewing flat media in the, in the third person to uh, three-dimensional media in the first person. And the reason why we're doing that is because we're able to get far more uh, context to the decisions that we're making. And uh, we're also able to get a level of presence. So that's if we're doing things remotely. Um, what you've done in relation to augmenting the, the real world is you're providing the ability in real time, in situ, the ability for um, real-time contextual decision-making. So people think in different ways. Uh, perhaps engineers are gonna be more likely to understand things in three dimensions. Um, maybe someone from finance and procurement may not be able to think in that, in that way and, and different individuals will have preferences around that. So even being able to just determine is the height suitable from an ergonomics perspective, uh, to be able to view that from a 2D flat media interface uh, is very difficult. Whereas if you are in the workplace and being able to see a three-dimensional asset before it's fabricated, uh, it makes perfect sense. So uh, I think we'll see far more of that. But the basics are, um, for me are uh, the context element of risk. So all risk discussion uh, needs to start with context. And, and that's what you're doing. You're, you're providing uh, more color, clarity, dimension to the, to the context of the risk decisions that you're making. So that's, that's what I think. And I, I think the thing that we got out of it was, and particularly the organization was, the participation levels increased with the, you know, we've got frontline teams looking at it, getting it and going, hey, you know that forklift, it's way too close. When it, if it pivots round, and it's just things you would not see on a 2D drawing, particularly. And a 3D model by itself, you won't see that because it's not, to your point, Cameron, it's not the context of the, of the rest of the, the rest of the things going around in that, in that particular space. What I loved about it was it was just, we're using ubiquitous technology. You know, we're using a phone and a, and a tablet and that made a, a whole, you know, really cheap, you know, if we drop it, it's not going to kill us. Not, and, but I love the participation we got. And, you know, the next stage was they, to actually work out where the forklift would load and unload is they built a timber structure and then overlaid the AR object back on top of it. So it looked like it was there, but then we could see how high the pallets. And it was just that ongoing improvement. And it, it actually led to some small design changes, which happy days before you've spent the money. Yeah, you've actually used technology to enable that discussion, you know, to your point around risk, but also around how people are actually think they're going to use it, which I, you know, I, I love that, that it's more in depth, right? You, you're getting a chance to have a, an in-depth conversation much earlier on than you normally would. Yeah. And you talk about your um, four, four Ds, which I love. Uh, the four Ds that I apply to planning is, is four-dimensional planning around, um, you know, pitch roll, you're the, the actual three dimensions, the fourth dimension being time. So a way to enhance, um, say, that, that use case and that um, scenario that you, you talked about uh, would be the ability to extrapolate out 
uh, a time-based uh, scenario on that. So what would the movement of that factory look like and be able to you know, have a slider bar which goes backwards and forwards and shows how things would work uh, and shows what that, um, uh, the people and plant interaction, uh, what happens when the sunset goes down and the lights change, all of that can happen in 4D spatial planning. I, I predict that we will see, uh, we are already seeing it in construction. Um, I was at one of the majors uh, last week, one of the major construction companies and they have a 4D spatial planning division specifically for that purpose. Um, you are able to view uh, all phases of a construction project um, particular done through uh, so the 3D spatial plus time. And that's all done to improve the ability to confirm the layout of a floor plan, uh, even something as, as interesting as uh, what would happen as a tree grows over time and will it start to impact uh, the, the layout of the lighting inside a floor because now the tree's grown up so much that now the, uh, the conditions inside that office layer is too dark for, uh, for the ambient lighting conditions. So they need to change things. It's really, really interesting 4D spatial planning and the role that uh, health and safety professionals and practitioners can have about um, being able to elicit worker insights and get far more uh, collaboration around that discussion, I think is, is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think, you know, from a risk management point of view, the more we can design out risk at that early stage, the huge ongoing benefit that it has because everything that we can't design out early that we have to do after the fact is always going to have what we call a knock-on knock -on effect or a knock-on potential. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you know, concepts like safety by design aren't new. But what is different is using some of these new views, particularly around, you know, what does normal work look like? What does successful work look like? What what does um, what are the what doesn't make sense to worker when they have to set up that machine? What doesn't make sense to them when they have to clean that machine? What doesn't make sense when they have to you know doing a clearing or a jam? The contextualization through it seen through the eyes of the worker becomes really important. Yeah, and sadly, in most cases, they are the last people to be consulted, not the first. Absolutely. And yeah, I think this is the, um, you know, with the, some of the new view concepts, particularly around worker insights and, and going and having discussions uh, with the workers on the ground, it, there takes a skill set um, around questioning, of course, from the practitioner asking those questions and making sure that they, um, they're able to build trust and um, ask curious questions that are going to elicit appropriate insights and valuable insights. Uh, there and there there appears to be a um like a group of practitioners that are able to do that um so what i have been observing with some of the new view philosophies is that it's a it's as good as the practitioner um because once the practitioner leaves that that approach and that skill moves with them um so i i, I believe that there's a role for technology to scale out some of that tra knowledge transfer 
Um, it's, it's never going to be perfect, but I think that that's something that in what I've observed is currently missing in, in um, a lot of the new view literature about the role of technology enablement in, in being able to scale out some of those approaches. Just also to validate the, um, the assumptions that are being made with quality data um, so that we can be a little bit more evidence-based around those practices, um, not just ethnographic research outcomes, but something a little bit more solid. Um, so the, the one other thing I'll just quickly add into the work design, we've, we've been talking about a physical work design interaction there. Um, the, there's a lot we need to be looking at around the psychosocial risk element of work design, which um, I think is uh, probably not going to be something that an AR-related experience will do, but uh, taking a look more holistically about the role that the negative role and the positive role that uh, technology has in the workplace, I think is something that I, I am observing as being missing in this whole conversation. So few things around work design and also around um, around users. So tech to enable new view, good things, but also under, um, in relation to work design, uh, I have not seen enough dialogue come out of the new view space around the role that technology has about um, the negative aspects of work design as well and how technology should be enabling human flourishing, not causing a lot of the challenges that we have seen uh, with Zoom, MS Teams, other um, remote collaboration tools and things like that have really changed work uh, for potentially the, the negative um, as well. The, I totally agree that uh, Zoom and um, what doesn't matter what, what platform you use, I'm, I'm platform independent here. Yeah, let, um, let's not, um, we're not dissing uh, the, any, the, the brand. Any, yeah. No, no, I think it's the the approach. I, I spent some time up in the US and during COVID, we were trying to do it via um, conferencing, video conferencing, or I'll, I'll generically call it that. And it was really hard. And that's where where I actually worked out that, well, I didn't work it out, but one of the technology we tried was AR because we couldn't get there to explain it and we were using you know everything we were doing was in 3d models so it was very easy to convert and then we could give it to them the construction teams up there in the us and they could actually have it in their office and see what it looked like in full size and it changed the dynamic the other thing was that if we ever sent them a physical sample it took four and a half weeks to get there and two thousand us dollars to ship it so yeah. from a from a business point of view it made a lot of sense and you know we've, so we've built on that that with a range of different clients who have been talking to but I just want to go back to your point about you know IT new view and safety and I, I see a lot of companies out there saying I oh, know we're putting in this new um, safety management system we're going to collect all this data and to me it looks like it's sort of like collecting stuff that's already happened and it's not really helping it's not going to predict anything that's for sure um, I don't know who actually who goes to look at it and so I was really interested in your point around capturing it and when the practitioner leaves what does it look like how do we help the organization transition over that that movement of a practitioner leaving and and making sure that that sustainability is built in somewhere as much as you can with technology because i wrote in the in the book uh, brent and i or the white paper i talk about um organizational um amnesia 
because organizations forget the humans remember if there's a bad incident the humans always remember as long as they're still in the organization but the yeah. organizations have no way of recalling it remembering it and they're quite often destined and we use an example where they had the same accident seven years earlier and they repeated it in a different location and i think that goes to your point yeah look the the organizations that are truly learning organizations uh and want to be able to learn practitioner independent, so not have to have a learnings teams facilitators that have gone through all of these trainings and have um, you know these fabulous people that are able to go out and be really good at asking questions on site, etc. Uh, I think we have the ability to to strip a lot of that individual component of of moving forward and getting back to uh, the data life cycle um, and, and data can be a conversation. It doesn't have to be uh, a zero and a one uh, or, or a text entry into a spreadsheet data. So the data life cycle is the foundation of the ability to scale out new view philosophy or any sort of approach that you're wanting to take because when the data life cycle effectively is collect, so collecting data, how you collect it. Is it real time? Is it offline? Um, is it um, uh, video? Is it images? Is it text? Is it speech? Is it a sensor? Is it biometric? So it's, it's what is it? How is it collected? Then where is it stored? How is it stored? How accessible is it? We get a lot of in interesting information that we collect data from work sites. Um, and what I would, um, people that will listen to this, I can almost guarantee that the really good insights are not captured in the really accessible locations. They're, they're then captured and put in something like a little spreadsheet somewhere. The really good stuff goes in the spreadsheet, which isn't widely accessible. Maybe your big EHS management system, that probably is the main cause of all of your issues is where you can get all of this stuff, but none of it's actually meaningful. The meaningful stuff's not accessible. So how you store, how you access, then how you process that data, aggregate, average, um, correlations, um, will then enable you to be able to, to do, you know, descriptive statistics and predictive models. Um, and then, then how you then analyze. So how you describe, how you, um, how you do predictive and preventative analytics off that. So I would hazard a guess that almost everyone on the call um, that, or anyone that's listening to this, I, could, I would say close to 100% won't have a data life cycle strategy as it relates to health and safety. No. Um, and if there were, if they spent time doing that, um, and the objective is learning, operational learning or transfer of learning, um, by understanding the structure of your data life cycle and how that interacts with other data sets. So operational data, human resources data, you know, absence of leave, you know, leave data, hours worked, you know, different types of contractors, hours worked, all of those things, if they're able to be uh, structured in such a way stored, accessed, processed, and analyzed well, then you can start eliciting phenomenal insights that have a lot of sustainability and longevity. So call to action uh, is, is about 
being very clear about the foundations of where your data comes from and, and all of that, that whole life cycle. Otherwise, I just don't believe that you can scale out your amazing work that you might be doing as an individual or as a, a, a really good, powerful team, because once one or two or three of you leave, it'll just go back to whatever the mess that it was before. That, that's my raw view on what I'm observing with, um, with New View. That's not strategically looking at technology. And I'm frustrated when I look at the course content for the different, um, you know, Hop, New View, Safety Two pro programs and 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 initiatives to get people upskilling on that is it's void of foundational structure around data and, and and I think that's the biggest criticism that I have and the biggest improvement option for for organisations that are going down that that path. Okay, it's interesting, Cameron, because I mean we're not in the training business because at the end of the day we felt very early on that um, we wanted to focus in creating that embedding and sustainability framework and that it has to be evidence-based rather than going in, taking a whole lot of concepts on and, and you know, giving it a go. And, and I think what, what you're talking about there is a little bit what we spoke about in our book on everyday learning is that organizations will always be limited in how much resource they can apply. Like you can go out and you can learn every single day, but you've only got so many hours in a day to do that. And the issue that we've got at the moment is that most of these things that we're doing are intervention based. They're driven by the organization. The organizations need to do that. And, and what we're saying is that for the organization to get that bigger picture, it needs to be worker-led. And the organization needs to support that. And I think there's two components. And, and what we've been experimenting with is the use of AI technology to not only um, listen to what people say, but also to look at how they say it. And AI is really good at we call it showing the difference between the forest and the trees, looking for those patterns or those emergent clusters of things. Because humans are very bad at that. Humans are very bad at seeing those patterns. But once a human understands the pattern, humans are really good at then looking at that context and looking at that underlying narrative that sits below it. And that's where AI is not great. So, so we've been trying to look at ways of shifting systems from being um, assessment-based or evaluative-based more into what we call um, critical appraisal-based. Because the critical appraisal component is where the learning happens for the workers. And, and that can lead those work groups to create those critical thinking skills and by recognizing that workers are the solution to the problem, then how do we get those worker insights from those people so that the organization can try and make sense of it? Because right now I'm seeing tech being used to do more assurance and verification. So that's tech for interventions. 
yeah that's that's lazy digital digitalization of existing processes that so there's been no thinking um the biggest issue i have around that is digitally assisted workflow uh where you you know when 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 a piece of equipment gets installed into a uh um, a workplace it'll have a set of uh, you know machine-based price but startup procedures uh, maintenance procedures you know there'll be certain steps make sure you do this first and then do this and then check that and it has to be within these ranges and these limits they're quite prescriptive and they're appropriate and you know it's the met the sequence the appropriate sequence to do something then they're typically provided by the manufacturer and then the organization will will digest that and, and wrap some stuff around it maybe pat it out with a bunch of things that have to happen uh, they would have been big manuals before you know um, yeah. and then then what we saw um, what I call lazy digitization is we just they've gone and taken that and put it into a, a an electronic uh, way of viewing that information and then they're probably stored in a work order management solution to be able to access uh, based on that piece of equipment. So there'll be an asset hierarchy, then there'll be the procedure and I'll, I'll do it. But uh, there was never any thinking about how you would transfer one medium to another. Um, and that's only just continued to get worse and worse and worse. So uh, we've basically just continued to, uh, nobody's taken time to reimagine the way that that could could happen um so that whole approach just is is super frustrating and when it comes to health and safety work so you know audits um the you know the, the typical things checklist type um assessments and risk assessments and things they have just been taken from however they were done and then put into a digital format and effectively a tablet is basically exactly that it's a stone tablet but it's just an electric electric one it hasn't changed since you know it's like papyrus mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not it, it yeah. really isn't anything like, exactly the same like a chisel yeah yeah so um <laughs> so when people when when i talk about technology as it was so safety tech uh i am not talking about uh digital checklists and uh health and safety data uh capture solutions like the you know, health and safety management system softwares. That is not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about any technology that has the ability to improve the design, experience, and safety of work. It ultimately needs to um, improve the role of the human. That that's what safety tech is about. It's about improving the ability for the human to flourish. And that needs to be the the ultimate goal um i can go into the my philosophies on this uh, for a, a lot more but uh, i guess to to summarize very very briefly the the role of the health and safety professional in relation to this is uh more of a concierge um so the the role that the the new view practitioner would would have as it relates to technology is as a is as a concierge like a hotel concierge you would come to the to the hotel concierge and ask questions about your objectives and what you're trying to achieve 
and the hotel concierge, in this case, the health and safety concierge will provide you with guidance and take you through some suggested things that will provide you with delight and give you a good engaging experience um, and support you in your objectives. So it's, it's the worker's objective, it's the worker's journey, it's the experience and the, the health and safety practitioner is a concierge to enable that to happen. Um, now, so you're saying technology on demand. Use, you're um, saying that te technology, when they've got a health and safety problem or an issue that they're facing, that they've got a something that's going to say, well, you, they they can say, here's my problem, and here's the suggested here's the suggested way of attacking that. So yeah, I, I'm not. I think the it's not as much as transactional. Um, hey, I've got a problem. Here's your solution. It's more. Um, experiential than that so um uh it's about the objective is more about um the role being more you know when, when you you know that when you go to a really good quality hotel that anything's possible i just need to go to the concierge and get some guidance but ultimately i've got the the bits that i need you know i want to take my kids to the to a theme park but i don't know which one and i'm not sure exactly how um but it, it's my experience and the, the concierge will curate that experience for me to support me in that journey. So it may be transactional. Yes, I just want a, a basic recommendation. What are your options? Or it could be help me craft the experience together. And I think if you can be called upon as a concierge, then you're, you, you are really enabling flourishing in the workplace. And I think reimagining the role of the health and safety professional as a concierge as the ability to communicate across groups i think that's that makes the role of the professional quite exciting as well um, but you need a basic digital literacy you need a, a basic level of um, uh, knowledge and skills around a, a variety of different business processes um, and you need to have a common vision um, but i think the all of the new view um, elements of you know people are the solution um, whatever else other new view things are, you can let me know what they are. Um, you know, let the capacity to respond and the capacity to learn and all of those things, um, the, the concierge role is an enabler of that, um, using technology to scale because you can't, you can serve one individual, but you can't serve an entire organization without having technology enablers. And they're not checklists and they're not EHS management systems specifically. They could be, but that's not the, it's not the purpose. It's about, yeah. It's, it's of that facilitation things. of change because it's not about, so, so the problem at the moment we see a lot is that it's about control and ownership. And, and just in safety, we talk about, you know, we use this language, hierarchy of controls. Okay. Um, in risk management, that's not the language that we use in risk. We talk about mitigations, you know, transfers, things like that. But there's this yep. high, high level thing about control. And with control comes ownership. Yes. And and yeah, and, and to that, we've built a society of practitioners based on, on expertise and knowledge as, as being the way to succeed. Mm -hmm. and, and I and and what we see, uh, Cameron, the work that we do, trying to get practitioners to realize that that they need to be moving between these two mental models of facilitating versus um, expert. Yeah. 
and it's and it's difficult because as you know when we see stuff or hear stuff it becomes obvious to us and, and the fix becomes obvious as well yeah but that doesn't create sustainability mm -hmm. sustainability comes from the group who face the problem to be involved in the actual finding of the solution yeah Hence why learning things have been so powerful. Because if you spend all your time understanding it, the solution will fall out by itself. Yeah. Safety professional that has some compliance aspect to their job because organizations haven't made that jump yet to let go of, I want to look at my LTIs. Are they down? We must be doing better mentality. And, and there's lots of, so that you've still got that. But you're saying that, with the safety professional that they need to be digital, digitally literate to start building or using data in a much more holistic way, but also pulling data from different sources. Because at the moment it's very much about collecting data. And I don't, you know, the, the people I talk to, or, you know, um, they collect it. I don't know what happens to it. It just seems to sit in a database somewhere, you know, and, yeah. and that doesn't, that just seems like dumb, First of all, it's costly because you've just spent a whole lot of money on a piece of software that collects data. Cool. We can use yeah. a spreadsheet for that. But we've spent a million bucks putting in this really cool new EHS piece of software. I don't see a lot of value in that. Um, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm really interested in that point of yours about it's all the data coming in. It's all the data points. It's the how do we use that? And then to your point of the concierge, serve that to the people that are looking for it at the time they're looking for it in a timely manner yeah so the, there's the data side and the ability to obtain insights and scale out insights and then you've got the actual technology that is going to improve the safety of work and i call those um rather than the hierarchy controls i call it augmented mitigations so the um i have created a technology augmented uh, hierarchy of controls just because that's the language a lot of people like to use but ultimately it's augmented mitigations so um right now uh, there there isn't a lot of um ability for the professional the, the health and safety practitioner professional to be uh, confident in themselves that they're able to suggest augmented mitigations because they just don't have the literacy so what happens is you'll see other parts of the organization uh, will bypass the health and safety professional mainly because of a compliance mindset that the health and safety professional has, particularly if they're not practicing new view type um, approaches, is they will um, they will constrain in a, uh, constrain innovation and constrain control of like mitigation augmentation because they won't um, know how um, how that could 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 be implemented. So. Again, if you if you can kind of bear with my my line here, and it's a little bit messy because it's an evolving concept in my mind, and um, still seeing the fruits of how this works in practice. the The role of the concierge is to is to transfer knowledge and operational learning, uh, and continue to build on their repository of things, um, so that and that can be done through data. So that you need to be able to have real time access and information to that, and build on learnings and continue to. So, so a very, very good experience for a frontline work crew will be that they have a place to go to access learnings, to access 
so that they don't have to continually feed the machine and get nothing out of it. So what happens with worker insights, unfortunately, this is what I've been observing is you ask a lot of the workers, but they don't get a lot in return because mm -hmm. the organization and particularly the safety professional does not know how to consume structure, process, analyze, store, transfer, and have readily accessible that information for future abilities. They then may not have the ability to sustainably augment the mitigations um, and, and demonstrate the effectus, effectiveness of that because it's just not strategically part of how, how health and safety practitioners have worked. So it takes um, some effort to understand the digital landscape so that the organization's digital strategy, which will drastically impact worker experience, cybersecurity is a massive component of what technology uh, organizations are looking at right now. And that is a huge user experience issue so uh think you know multiple sign-ons multiple factor authentication all of this stuff to be able to get in and access something causes uh micro trauma every time someone has to do that um or i, I can't log on to my computer i've lost my password and that all of this stuff is just it is very um uh consuming to the work to the workforce that is a, a result of a technology strategy around cybersecurity, which is massively in, um, in focus at the moment with the data breaches we've seen. Yeah. So it, the, the, the pathway that the organization is taking around technology strategy directly impacts worker health and safety. Yeah. What health and safety practitioner, new view or other, otherwise is, is actively looking at that. Um, that. That's the type of thing I'm talking about in terms of digital literacy and technology enabled safety strategy, digital safety strategy, understanding the business strategy, the technology strategy, and making sure that the health and safety strategy is not some thing off on the side that's just done independently, because that's what I'm currently observing. The commonality of what's this, the common thread here is data, because that's what will drive the ability to converse and have insights across the organization. And then the last thing is the actual safety of work to augment the mitigations that are in place. So that could be removing people from the line of fire, increase, you know, robotics and automation, whatever those things might be to physically change the risk profile. That, that combination, the concept that I have in my mind to be able to have augmented mitigations to improve the actual frontline safety of work, the ability to transfer worker insights and the ability to have a, a digitally enabled strategy requires a reimagined role profile of the safety professional, which I call the concierge. Um, so yeah. there's a few dimensions of that. that. That's the messy thinking that I have in this space and, um, and putting that into practice is um, requires coaching and, and, and contextual thinking in different organizations. So it, it takes a little bit of effort, um, but we're def I'm definitely starting to see some pretty awesome results. Um, and the metrics for success are far more around delight, engagement, trust. They're not, um, you know, numbers generally. They're more scaled uh, indicators of, of um, human experience and, and user experience. So they're, they're user experience indicators rather than um, 
the numbers. The numbers come and the numbers um, will, will move as they do, but the, um, the, the key performance indicators are, are more around um, like the, you know, the, the fire, is it, you know, the fire indicators, bushfire indicators in Australia, we like, it's extremely low today or extremely high. You can kind of get this gauge of, of where you're roughly at. Welcome to Safety Differently Merchandise, the premium sponsor for the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Our curated lines of inspirational clothing, headwear, cups, stationery and more, at Safety Differently Merchandise, is befitting of your Safety Differently journey. I am Arthur Taylor, Chief Designer. I have spent decades on Savile Row, and honored to bring my talents, for all fine purveyors and devotees of. Hop. Learning Teams. Safety Differently. Safety 2. And the New View. Please visit the store and purchase our fine goods at safetydifferentlymerch.com. And now, back to the show.